verse 6 to 13 this morning, but I want to start us off by reading those first five verses just to get us in the flow of what John is talking about. So John chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that all through him, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It's a really cool scripture for us to look at this morning. And the first thing I want to kind of point out to us is that John the baptizer was a man sent by God. John the baptizer. I'm not going to say John the Baptist. Uh, we don't know if he was Methodist or Anglican or Episcopalian. or We don't know. Those weren't even around then. So uh, if you're used to hearing about John the Baptist, today you're going to hear about John the baptizer. So that's, uh, and that's different to the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. So there's John the disciple who writes this book, and there's John the baptizer who John is talking about here. So John the baptizer was a man sent by God. And this guy, John, the baptizer, he was a special guy. The book of John tells us a bit more about him later in the book. And if you read the other Gospels, you'll get a bit of a picture about this guy, John. He was a special guy. You know, one of those guys, right? I'll tell you why now. If you don't know, he had a very special mission, very unique, very specific calling from God. And John was, how do you put it, like he was wild. He was, uh, the Bible says that he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. It's some special thing that the angel told his parents. You know what he ate? Locusts and honey. Okay, so you you must think about what shape this guy was in. When you eat only locusts and honey. You know what his clothing was? Camel hair. This guy's wild. You know where he lived? In the desert by himself. Do you think he had very many people skills? No. This guy was socially awkward. He was wild. He had a weird diet. He looked funny in his clothing. He's not the kind of friendly looking guy you'd walk up to and say, Hi, my name is... Like you, the kind of guy you would walk away from if you saw him. He was like a camel man. He was like, he, he was, he didn't go to finishing school, okay? He was not polite. In fact, if you go and read some of the things of his preaching in the other gospels, he had no filter on his mouth. He just said stuff that came into his head. There was no diplomacy. There was no tact. He was not good with words. In fact, he got chucked in prison because of what he preached. This is John, a very special guy. Okay? 
And he was a man sent by God. Now, doesn't that give you great hope and great courage that God could use a man like John the Baptizer, who ate weird food, who dressed funny, who had not the greatest social skills? God could use someone like that. You know what? God could use any one of us. Well, I think we've got more social skills than John. So if you are an introverted vegan, God can use you too. It's possible. <laughs> it, it should give us great courage because actually God could use anyone, even John the baptizer. Uh, John says that John came as a witness to identify, to point out, to show everyone who this Messiah was. In fact, one time Jesus is walking past while John is preaching to his disciples and he says, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He came to identify Jesus as the Messiah, to point him out so that people would believe in Jesus, not in John the baptizer, because he says, John wasn't the light. He only came to point out the light. John was a man sent by God. I would love for my biography to start off with those words. There was a man sent by God whose name was Glendon. I would love that to be written about my life. There was a woman sent by God whose name was Ursula. There was a man sent by God whose name was Lawrence, whoever. I would love that to be said about my life. I hope you would want that to be said about your life. It's got a great ring to it, doesn't it? There was a man sent by God whose name was Jonah. You know that Jonah was also a man sent by God. You know who Jonah is, hey? My four-year-old, Finley, I've been reading him a book this week about Jonah and the fish. And how God spoke to Jonah, said, go to Nineveh. And which way did Jonah go? The other way. <laughs> so unless your name's Jonah, you don't want to have that written about your life. There was a man sent by God whose name was. But, but think about it. Both men, John and Jonah, both sent by God. What did John do? He, he obeyed God. He pursued God. He followed God. What did Jonah do? He ran the other way. He heard God, but he had nothing. He didn't want anything to do with that idea. Friends, this morning, are we a John or are we a Jonah? Because we are all sent by God, the Bible says. And we can be a John. We might not look like John or eat like John. <laughs> Maybe you do. That's okay. God can use you too. <laughs> but we have a choice if we're going to follow God or if we're going to do the opposite and run the other way. Are we going to witness or are we going to wander off and do our own thing? You might think, well, you know, Glennon, I'm not, I'm not special like John the Baptizer. I'm just a normal guy. I'm just the average person. The Bible says that every one of us, if you have faith in Jesus, you are sent by God. Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me to earth to rescue mankind, so I am sending you. God, Jesus, sends every one of us. Well, where does he send us? What are we to do? He didn't leave us guessing. He made it very clear. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. So now we have a world map at the back because the calling God has us on is a big one. We want to keep our vision a big one. Go and make disciples of all nations. How do we do it? 
Well, remember the course we did earlier this year called Purpose, and then beginning of the year we did Gifted? God has gifted us uniquely, every one of us, so that we can fulfill the calling He has. And so as we're carrying on our life with parenting and kids and work and hobbies and all the other stuff we do, God has wired us so that those things, those people who we bump into, who we rub shoulders with, we are meant to share our lives with them and share God's love with them and share Christ with them. And that's how we make disciples, by just living out our life with the purpose and giftings He's already given us in the world, rubbing shoulders and sharing His love among people. Every one of us are sent, like John the Baptizer. Amen? Sure, not many of you sound convinced, though. We are sent. Fact. So are we Johns or are we Jonas? Are we, are we laying hold of God's plans or are we running away from God's purpose? Where are we today? Can I say there's actually a third option, right? In the middle. You know those people who sit on the fence, you, they can't decide which way they're going to, maybe there's a better option, I'll just hang around. Got some friends who, once when we invited them to a New Year's party, they said, oh, I'm not sure, we're just going to wait till something better comes up. Like, hey, gee whiz, that's nice, you know. But they were just sitting on the fence waiting for something better. And there's a category of Christian that are in the middle. They're not John, I don't want to be so serious about God. They're not Jonah, I'd never, ignore, I'd never run away from God. No, I'd never do that. But they're not doing anything. They're just in the middle. They're sitting on the fence. Maybe they've heard God. Maybe they doubt. Oh, I'm not good enough. God can't use me. Or maybe there's some doubts that cause them to be sitting on the fence. Maybe they're just lazy. But, but whatever they are, they, they're apathetic. God can't move them. You see, God could get hold of Jonah. He got Jonah's attention with a storm and with a fish and then later Nineveh with a big vine and a little worm that ate the vine. You know the story. God could get Jonah's attention, but the people in the middle, like, they just sit in church and do nothing. God can't do anything with them, it seems. And I wonder, what is, how does God see this category of Christian who are neither John's nor Jonah's? And I think there's far many of them in the world than John's or Jonah's. Listen to what Revelation chapter 3 says. This is Jesus speaking to one of the churches. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were a John or a Jonah. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out my mouth. Wow. Jesus said that to Christians in a church. That's pretty hectic. So friends, if you're in that space today, you feel like you're lukewarm. You feel like you, you're not running away from God, but you don't feel like you, you're like John. I want to pray for you at the end of the meeting that God would put a fire inside you. That you wouldn't just be sitting, consuming oxygen, but that God would get hold of you. Amen? The second thing we see in this text is that it's possible to miss God. We see that in verse 9 to 11. John, the disciple, writes, the true light that was coming into the world. If there's a true light, there must also be a false light. Yeah? 
many people claim to have answers. There are many philosophies, many ideas, many influences in the world that you might follow on Twitter or read their, their, their daily blog or whatever it might be that sound spiritual. They even might throw out a bit of Bible lingo. I know a good family friend who every now and then he will say something from the Bible. Yo, it was, that situation at my work was like a David and Goliath. And I think, oh, this guy knows Jesus. But actually the rest of his speech, the rest of his life, nothing to do with God at all. And so friends, it's possible that if we are influenced in our thinking and how we live our life and make decisions by false lights that aren't based on Christ or his word, we can miss God. There are many false lights out there. This is what Paul says in Colossians 2. Let no one deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Friends, if, if you're reading someone's stuff on the internet or listening to their YouTube channel, and it's not about Jesus at the center, and the principles are not from God's word, be very careful, because it might be a false light. Just because it sounds spiritual and seems to have a bit of truth, that's often how it works, there's a bit of truth, but then a lot of other waffle, be careful. There's a scripture that says, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. That's scary. So I want to say to you, be careful, don't miss God because you're following a false light. It sounds good, it sounds spiritual, but test it. Is Christ at the center? Is his word part of every part of that teaching? If you're unsure, come and chat to one of the elders. We'd love to check that person or that teaching out and let you know. Don't want you to miss God. Then John says, the world did not recognize him. I think this refers to Jesus when he came. He was fully man. He looked like a human. He ate food. He probably got the flu and had to blow his nose and all these other things that humans go through. We can't think of Jesus as unaffected by humanity. He was fully man. But he was also fully God, but somehow his glory was hidden from us. It was veiled. He was in disguise, actually. And it says no one recognized him. That's how good the disguise was. That's how good his earth suit was, if you want to put it like that. No one recognized him as the creator. It says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Why do you think he came to his own? Why did he come to the Jewish nation? I'm sure us South Africans would have done a better job than the Jewish, eh? Jesus should have come here. The tip of Africa. Cape Town's much prettier than Israel. I've never been to Israel, so I don't know. <laughs> but no, for thousands of years, God had sent prophets to the nation of Israel. They'd seen many miracles. The, think of the Red Sea parting. Think of the manna that came down in the desert, the water from a rock, the amazing military victories of David and Solomon, the favor that they had all over the place. God had been preparing them through the sacrificial system, through the temple, through their system of worship. God was preparing them for the Messiah. And why did they not receive him? If they were, 
if they had the prophets, if they had the Old Testament, why did they miss God? Well, the leaders, the Pharisees, they'd become religious. They'd become proud. They'd become hypocrites, telling people what to do but not living it out themselves. They'd become self-sufficient, self-righteous. They were looking forward to the Messiah. They were anticipating him, but they had a certain view of how they thought the Messiah should come. You see, the Romans had occupied. The Romans were ruling over Israel. And in their mind, the Messiah would release them from this Roman government. That the Messiah would come on a horse. He'd be a military man. He'd raise up an army, fight against the Romans, and kick them out of power so Israel could be a self-governed nation. That's what they had when they thought about the Messiah. But did Jesus come that way? No. He came humbly. He was poor. In fact, he was homeless. He was a carpenter. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so God appeared, not in the way they were expecting, and they missed God. Friends, you and I need to be careful that if God shows up in our lives in a way we're not expecting, that we're not like the Jewish people and miss him. Because we, we do expect God to show up in our lives in a certain way, don't we? We're all selfish, and so we all pray. We, don't, we try not to be selfish. We know we are, and we try not to be, but we are selfish, and we don't have God's amazing perspective and, and grand design. And so when we pray and we hope for an answer, a certain outcome, we do have an expectation of how it's going to work out. We do. We're just human, right? I do as well. And if God answers differently to what I expect, it's possible that I can be like the Jewish leaders and miss God in my life. Candace and I had a moment like that. We've had many, but one I think of happened about 11 years ago. We were living in KZN, and my two-year work contract had come up for renewal. We hadn't felt like God wanted us to renew it. And so I said to my boss, I'm not going to continue working here. I'm kind of resigning at the end of the year. And we started applying for jobs. We put our house on the market, a little flat rather, not a house. Um, and and we had, I had job interviews in Stellenbosch and in Cambridge in the UK. First round interviews, second round interviews. Very excited. I've got a British passport, so we thought it was the UK. Candice had lived there for eight years, so she was very excited to go back to where part of her faith was, was kind of rooted. And you know that Cambridge... And Stellenbosch are much prettier than Edenvale. You know that, hey? <laughs> just, just want to be honest here. Joburg was never on our radar. Not for one moment. When my boss heard that I was resigning, he didn't know where I was applying, but he told one of the directors in the company, hey, this guy, Glendon, this researcher, he's, he's resigning. And then the one director came into my office a few weeks later and he said, I, I hear you. I hear you resigning. There's a job in Joburg if you ever want one. I'm like, mm, talk to the hand. Stellenbosch, Cambridge. And you know what happened? God closed the door of Stellenbosch and he closed the door of Cambridge. Ouch! God answered in a way that we were not expecting. We could have missed God. <laughs> we were disappointed. We were gutted. We were, the house had been sold by that point. There was no job on the horizon. <laughs> and God is so gracious. We didn't, 
We didn't get angry, point fingers at God. It's not fair. We didn't come to Joburg, and then the first chance we got, we tried to leave Joburg. No, we went before God with our disappointment, with our hurt. And God is so gracious, he spoke to both of us separately before Christmas of 2011. And we had such a peace about coming to Joburg, beginning of 2012, but not knowing how it was going to work out, not knowing all the detail. And we've loved every minute of being here. Friends, we, we, we might miss God if we put our expectations God doesn't dance to our tune. He knows we have desires in our heart. But let's not miss God because he shows up differently to how we expect. Lastly, we see in this passage what it means to be born of God. Verse 12 to 13. John writes, Yet to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, in other words, to all, to everyone. It's, it's not exclusive. There's no clauses. Only the tall people get to be in the kingdom. No, there's no. It says to all who receive him. In other words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what John is saying here. What do we need to be reconciled to God? How do we get right with God? Well, it's simply Believing in his name and receiving him. There's nothing else we have to do. It's not about doing good things or thinking good thoughts or ticking a box by going to church every week. No, it's believing in him and receiving what Jesus has already done on the cross. We can't improve what God has done. You know that. You can't do good stuff and say enough prayers to Make God's salvation better. It is perfect. It is finished. We, we do nothing for the salvation. It's simply by our faith in what God has done. I love this quote from Michael Eaton about faith. He says, faith is nothing more than putting out an empty hand and receiving what God is doing. Isn't that beautiful? Faith is nothing more than putting out an empty hand and receiving what God is doing. And so friends, hear this. God rejects no one. God rejects no one. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you lived, how terrible your life was, how bad your decisions were. It doesn't matter if you like the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15 who's wandered. It doesn't matter if you like Jonah and ignored God. If you come back to him, hear this. If you come back to him, he will not reject you. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. He will not reject. We, we, we get this privilege, this ability, this right to become children of God. And that happens both instantly and progressively. Instantly because the moment we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says we are adopted as his children. The moment my three kids were born, they were my children. They didn't have to go through how to be an Ascoff class. <laughs> they were my kids the moment they were born. The moment we are born again, we are God's children. The moment we put our faith in, instantly. 
But, but did my kids, and if you look at them now, you'll also realize they don't act like Ascoffs. <laughs> There's still some work to do in the training of my kids, right? And your kids too, I'm sure, but mine, mine especially. Um, <laughs> There's a progressive becoming like our heavenly Father. There's a progressive growing in our faith and sanctification and becoming holy. That takes time. doesn't happen overnight. And so instantly we're children of God, but also there's a progressive becoming more like Jesus that happens. Yeah? And if you've read the New Testament... No matter how many times you read the New Testament, you won't find any language where Jesus says, or Paul says, or anyone says, you're going to be unadopted. We get adopted, but there's no words like, sorry, you're not good enough today. Step down a level, unadopted. There's no words like you're going to be unjustified, or unsaved, or unborn again. There's no language like that in the New Testament. You know that. Go and, read, go and read it if you're not sure. It seems like God wants us to be certain, to be convinced, to be assured that we are his, that the salvation is eternal. In fact, Jesus says, no one, nothing can pluck them from my hand. If Christ has laid hold of us, who can take us from his hand? If I did nothing for my salvation... And I got saved 18 and a half years ago when I was 22. If I did nothing for my salvation, if it's by grace, then I can't do anything to lose it. But if I'd earned it, if I'd done some stuff, well, then I might be able to lose it. But as it is, I do nothing for it except put out an empty hand. <laughs> in fact, God's the one who gives me that ability to put out the empty hand in the first place. Everything is grace. But if it's my effort, if I need my works and my praying every morning and getting up early and whatever it might be, if it's up to me to earn it, then I can very easily lose it. I'm human. In fact, one famous commentator said, if as humans we could lose our salvation, we would. If we could lose it, for sure we'd lose it because we're human. We sin. We mess up. We're imperfect. But no, it's up to God. It doesn't depend on me or you. It's what God has done. Amen. John says, not born of natural descent or human choice or a husband's will, but born of God. This is a special kind of birth. No, no person can do this for you. No holy man of God can make you a new creation. You know that. We should never revere Elders in that way. No large numbers of good deeds or religious activities or even personal sacrifice can cause us to become born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. All our efforts, Jesus said, are like filthy rags. Well, God said to Isaiah, we are dead in our sins. The flesh is dead. No, no, no. We're born of God. God himself, the almighty creator, reaches down from heaven when we put out our faith. And he makes us come alive. Paul says you were dead in your sins, but you are made alive in Christ. And this is the unique thing about our faith. You know that Christianity is not like other religions. It's not just a little bit better, a little bit different. It's unique. 
Because every other religion says, well, here's a whole bunch of stuff you must do so that you can go from being bad to better or from being bad to good. And they range in things that you have to do, right? Every religion requires you to do stuff to somehow get right with God. But Jesus says, good luck. You've got no chance because you are dead in your sins. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. It's a unique faith, friends. You won't find one like it anywhere on the planet. So we have this first birth from your mother. From my mother, I entered this world. I was born. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we are born again. That's what the Bible says. A second birth, a spiritual birth. We're born of God. And that happened at a moment of time. You might have put your faith in Jesus when you were a child. You might not remember the exact moment it happened. That's okay. But there was a point it happened. For me, it was 2004 when I started following Jesus. I was 22. For Candice, when she was 15. For my parents, they were in their late 50s when they came to Christ. But there was a moment. We're all born. And I trust that many of us here are born again. There was a moment we put out our empty hands and received what God has done on the cross for us. Amen. We're going to break bread together. As you came in, you would have received